Hello, and welcome to Furloughed, defining moments worth talking about. As always, I'm your host, Leonard Cochran, and we've got Steve Otterstrom with us today. And last week, we talked a little bit about what's been going on in our world and gave the update on our furloughed status. And so this week, we're going to spend a little bit more time with just the two of us and hearing a little bit more about things that are going on and some thoughts that we have. So, Steve, uh, I'm entering my second 90 days of furlough now, so that I've had plenty of time to process that. And uh, for me, what that kind of stood out was the fact that, holy cow, this is going to be a half year without employment unless I take wow. drastic action. Uh, and then for you, of course, you're actually laid off. And so mm-hmm. uh, Friday, which we record these on Monday, so this past Friday was your last day. And my goodness, I saw a ton of posts of uh, some of our coworkers, not all 2,100 yeah. of them, but I saw <laughs> several posts of our coworkers saying goodbye and that type of thing online. Uh, on LinkedIn. So how, how how are you currently doing with your situation, family at home and those types of things? Uh, everybody, uh, uh, you have no choice but to embrace it, I guess, but is everybody yeah, doing well yeah. and kind of uh, not too <laughs> shaken by it all? Well, I mean, um, luckily I, I have had some work through the furlough, uh, which, you know, gave has given me quite a bit of, of comfort from the perspective that um, I don't feel like I'm necessarily truly unemployed. I've had uh, quite a bit of independent contract work for uh, production of, you know, virtual facilitations and things. So I, I, right. I've been, I've been lucky there that I haven't felt like I was without anything. However, I did have quite a few um, moments, I think, as I went through last week, uh, one of them was going through my old laptop, pulling things mm. off, and running into uh, courses that we had taught. And, um, yeah, the, and old, just the this, old corporate laptop. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It, it was like this sucks. This, mm. I, you know, I I don't like this. I I wanted to keep working for the company I was working for. I wanted to keep doing that job. And, you know, it's, it's just trying to accept the reality that um, that's not where we're at today. That's not the world we live in. And it's been interesting as I've had an opportunity to talk with other people, um, mostly through instant messaging or through LinkedIn or through, you know, um, those things who are in the similar situation. And, mm-hmm. and I, I find that most of us are feeling about the same thing. I mean... Um, we understand why it happened on the same note. There is this, but I don't understand why it happened to me. (laughs) You know, 2,100 people were let go and that's a huge number, but there's a much larger number that um, are continuing into their furlough. And um, as you process every emotion that happens, there is this um, aspect of, wait, but why did they pick me? <laughs> I think mm. I'm better than somebody. I, <laughs> we're, am I really the zebra running at the back of the pack? <laughs> the lion yeah. picked off. Um, and, and, you yeah. know, and then it's a reminder that that's not the way it worked. 
you know, that right. when right. you have to cut out 2,100 people, there is no way to surgically go through and, and find the highest value. And even if you did, I think about the team I'm on, every single person on, on our team has something that the other doesn't have. So there's not anyone that you could say, well, this is the person that is expendable. But, you know, it was, it was interesting. It's been interesting kind of going through um, those emotions. And then also even, and I don't know if, if this is just me justifying my, my being where I'm at, but thinking, I'm so glad that I was laid off. Like, I've, I've had that feeling that I, I'm just so glad that I'm not entering another 90 days. Because I remember going into the first 90 days and the uncertainty with it. And it didn't feel good. And to know whatever happens, it's all my choice from here on out. You know, yeah. I, I yeah, have a yeah. lot more So you're control. no longer hanging in the balance. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And, and, interesting. I, and I'm getting a severance. Um, it's not huge. Yeah. <laughs> but for many people who are going into their second 90 days, depending on where they're at, they may be pretty well out of unemployment at this point. Um, unless something yeah. changes politically and um, and and a, an, an extension of unemployment is given. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if that would happen. But I think there are a lot of people that are looking at, at real financial um, uncertainty who don't necessarily want to leave and give up the opportunity to go back to the jobs they love. But on the same note, are looking at the reality of how do we pay rent and buy milk for the yeah. second 90 days the first 90 days okay we knew what to do with that but now we're in a, a position of you know so I, i've also had that feeling of i feel lucky to at least know what's happening and not be in a continued state of limbo those have been my thoughts um <laughs> Any any thoughts on your end, or have, the, have, have you are any of those thoughts that you've experienced, especially talking about that ninety days and starting that up again? Yeah, yeah, no, you you're you're, you're totally uh, as we say in the corporate world, you're spot on. Uh, so I know that within the next ninety days, thirty days from now, I will be without the federal stimulus money that uh, affords me. <laughs> affords me to continue to pay most of my bills, you know? And so it really is a question of, okay, what's the best way to cope? Uh, out of that 90, for sure, 60 of them, I'm on my own at this point until there is some kind of federal intervention or something that happens, if indeed it happens. And so, yeah, lots of uncertainty as you're talking about, Steve. And so, you know, we're kind of huddling around uh, trying to figure, okay, what's what's the most strategic thing we can do with the uncertainty that lies ahead. And to your point, um, it, it is the big relief is, Oh, I have a job at the end of the rainbow. You know, uh, the, the lack of <laughs> the, the fear or concern maybe is the fact that, uh, I'm watching all of these adjustments. We just got an email today, which I'm assuming you're not included on uh, from our <laughs> CEO, uh, talking about some of the restructuring that's happening. And then it's knowing even if, you know, quote unquote, if I survive the next 90 days, which somehow I will obviously, but mm -hmm. um, then when I return, I know that I will be returning to a much different company than 
what it was, uh, you know, 90 days plus 90 days, what's that? 180 days, <laughs> you know, after, after 180 days, I will be returning to a company that's much different. And it's, it's a little, um, disheartening, uh, sad because of knowing, you know, it was such a great place and it, it still will continue to be, but it's just going to be different. And so, um, those, those are the kind of things running through my mind right now. Yeah. Well, we're, we're not running out of things to think about, are we? <laughs> no, not at all. And, and fortunately for us and, and many of our listeners, you know, we've had some really great guests that have shared some thoughts and some things. Uh, I, I know we've seen a real uptick, uh, you know, Sarah McKay's podcast that we did on uh, tolerance and risk and uncertainty has just exploded the number of people listening to that podcast. Uh, and then, of course, Britt, Andriata, uh, I know that delved heavily into Black Lives Matter, but it really was in the context of grief and loneliness and things like that. So we, you and I, Steve, have been fortunate to be on the front line and been given some great advice as far as caring for ourselves yes. mentally. And I know that's, <laughs> we've, we've deliberately tried to dispense some. I know you, neither of us are licensed in any kind of a medical profession <laughs> or uh, mental health for that matter. Uh, but we've really tried to be a help to folks with that. And I hear you, you've got some positive feedback from a friend this, this week as well in regards to some of our podcasts. Oh yeah, uh, it was very nice, and it's very nice to hear, especially from um, our our work family, because we kind of started out going through this together. Uh, but to hear that um, there are those that enjoy hearing familiar voices, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. uh, and 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 honestly, that's that's what I enjoy about it the most as well is um, you know <laughs> getting on and, and having the opportunity. In, in some ways, it makes it feel like. None of this really happened. <laughs> we're, we're back to normal. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's something, too, that uh, several people have, have said to me throughout this, this week is that um, the relationships don't have to end when the employment does. Right. That, uh, and, we, you know, every place I've ever worked, when you leave, you're like, we're going to stay in touch. And we do for a few months. <laughs> and then, then you start to separate. And I think that's the natural order of things. However, yeah. um, we've already been separated for a few months and we're staying tight. We're staying close. And so this is, this, this feels very different to me that, mm. that I, I'm not just going through and none of us, even, even as, um, we no longer are all employed by the same organization. Um, we still have this family. We're still looking out for each other. You know, I, I still get um, things from you and I try and send things on to other people when I hear about employment opportunities in other places that we're still mm -hmm. looking out for each other. We're still trying to deliver, you know, that um, that hospitality, which is, uh, you know, I, and I, I've worked for a couple of different hospitality companies. And one training I remember um, having years ago, this is maybe 15 years ago is somebody saying, you know, we can teach people how to serve, but we can't teach them how to love. And that's all that matters. And it was kind of strange because I'd never been in a corporate training where they're like, love people, love, yeah. <laughs> love your guests. But the truth is that that is at the core of 
great hospitality is that you genuinely have a bad day if they don't have a good day. And mm. I think we're very lucky because where this is happening, it's happening amongst a group of people who have had this philosophy their entire working careers that they've always felt like you had to bring your heart to work with you. You know, there's none of this, like you've got your work box and your home box. It's still, I just got this big heart, you know, people who work in hospitalities can't help themselves. They go into a grocery store and they say hello to everyone. People who work in hospitality, mm -hmm. you know, they forget their name badge and they're walking through the grocery store and someone asks them where the bread is at. And they're like, you know what? I don't work here, but the two of us, we're going to figure it out. <laughs> you know, people in hospitality, they, they can't see somebody stranded along the side of a roadway and, um, you know, with, with a flat tire and not pull over. I mean, I, I don't think I have a, a single engineer that ever worked at any of the properties I worked at that knew how to pass someone on the roadway with a broke, you know, with a broken down car, you yeah. know, these, yeah. these, these were people who it was ingrained in them. So, many ways i feel very lucky that as we kind of go through what i feel like is a tragedy i'm going through it with the very best people in the entire world yeah well no doubt i agree steve and that uh we will press on and we will survive that's for sure <laughs> and i know hospitality industry will take some time to recover uh but uh the best you know uh, in, in seeing the posts and seeing everything, it, it, it is really just leaning into the optimism of knowing that the better days are coming back. And it's just a question of when, but they will come. Yes. So. Well, you know, as we, as we think about this, I mean, we, we've had um, quite a few podcasts where we've, we've kind of talked about mental health and um, the importance of keeping ourselves as mentally healthy as we can and, and acknowledging that if we are dealing with mental illness, that is normal. You know, that, right. that, that right. doesn't mean that, that it's okay and that you shouldn't um, seek help for that. Um, it's just, it means you're not broken. Uh, right. And, you know, no more, no more than somebody who at this point or at this juncture were to get COVID-19. That's natural. That, that's what's going to happen because it's a pandemic. And with this pandemic comes a pandemic of mental illness as well. And, yes. uh, and of course, we want to make sure that um, we share with you <laughs> that, that you have a right, um, you have, you know, an, an intrinsic value that means it's worth you getting that help if you need it. And so, you know, we've, right. had, we've had actually several professionals on and uh, they've shared some great tactics. And so we've, 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 I think we've addressed mental health in, in, in a really good uh, way, but you know, there's a lot of times when people talk about health, they talk about it in, in, in three parts. They talk about your mental health, your physical health, mm -hmm. and, you know, getting that exercise. And I believe that's actually been talked quite a bit about as well, you know, wearing your mask, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. good hygiene, those types of things to try and protect yourself from uh, COVID-19. We, we've definitely spent some time talking about those types of things. Yeah. One area Keeping that we schedule have, those kind of things tie into that physicality yes, too. Yeah. I think really. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe you're right. I believe you're right. Um, yeah, getting out when you can, breathing some fresh air. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> all, all, all important aspects. But then that, that third aspect of health, when people talk about your physical, mental, and spiritual, I don't think we've spent much time talking about uh, the spiritual. Although sometimes I have a hard time distinguishing mental health from spiritual health because mm. spirituality to me has often been um, kind of encompassed in religion and, and religious health. And, <laughs> you know, uh, it's no secret that I, I, I'm an atheist. So I, there's maybe, maybe that's a religion, but it's kind of a pathetic one from the perspective that it, it's what you don't believe. It's not what you do believe. And now that's not to say, and I want to be really clear <laughs> that um, it doesn't mean that people who are atheists like myself don't have deep beliefs or don't have, you know, find meaning in their lives, but it is difficult to look at something like atheism and say, you know, the absence of God makes me more, <laughs> more capable of handling this or finding meaning in this. Um, but I think spirituality doesn't have to exist within that realm alone. I think religion can be a great way to express spirituality or to explore spirituality but it doesn't have to be the definition of spirituality. That said, I'm not an expert, but you kind of are a little bit, <laughs> Leonard. This, this might be kind of um, your day to shine and kind of share with us some of your spiritual perspectives. I know you you are definitely a man of, of, of intense faith, uh, but uh, you also are a person who has the ability to translate um some of those beliefs into something digestible or usable uh, by people like me who are people of not great faith. <laughs> <laughs> that well, said, well, thank you, Steve. I, <laughs> yes, I would, I would kind of like to, to start this, this journey because I've had an opportunity to know you for quite a while. And I know some of uh, where, where you're coming from, but I would like to kind of go back in time um, to when you were a child. And I think that's something that many people don't know about you is that uh, when you were a child, you had um, difficulty hearing. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. When I was uh, young, I, I had real simple, it was ear problems. I had, you know, it was just, I don't know if it was sinus pressure or what it was. Um, but at that particular time, and <laughs> like I'm a way old man talking like this, but uh, for whatever reason, putting tubes in my ears was not immediately an option. So spoiler alert, that was the cure. But I had gone uh, for at least, well, let me do the math. It was second grade is when I noticed the problem and it was severe. And when I say severe, uh, it number one, it affected my grades in school because I couldn't hear. Um, I'm told I don't remember it. And it's funny, I don't even remember my second grade teacher's name. But I do remember being told that she thought that I wasn't applying myself and paying attention. Uh, my parents later told mm -hmm. me that. Um, but I, I couldn't hear. And I would, uh, when my ears got bad, when the pressure got bad, I would hear my heartbeat in my ears. And I can remember many nights crying myself to sleep. Uh, just because of that pain, that throbbing, and there was nothing mm -hmm. we could do for it. And mind you, I was seeking doctor medical advice. Um, and a as you say, being a person of faith and 
uh, I'm in, of the Christian faith, um, would seek prayer. You know, we believed in prayer and believed that people could pray and healing could occur. And so I couldn't even tell you how many times I was prayed for. Uh, but still, it's those those nights of going to bed and hearing my heart pound in my ears and the pain that I recall. Uh, but that was started in second grade. And then it wasn't until after my fifth grade year, uh, the summer of my uh, between fifth and sixth grade, that I got tubes put in my ears. And that fixed the problem, fortunately, uh, permanently fixed that problem. And uh, but, yeah, that that was something that occurred to me. Uh, or happened to me, I should say, as a young child. And uh, so it, it really, it, it was a painful experience, literally, <laughs> from a literal experience, you know, physically. Uh, and then I, I guess really it was somewhat emotionally difficult as well, although I, you know, as a child, yeah. I didn't process it that way, but I guess it was. Well, I, I, I assume <laughs> that there was no point as you were going through this, that you knew when the end point was coming, that oh, yeah. your, your pain was just your reality, right? There was no, yeah. in the next year, they're going to figure this out and this pain is going to go away, right? It right, was just, yeah. This is life. Yeah, yeah. And, and mind you, of course, it didn't happen all the time, but I, it, you know, now it's many years back looking that far, but I just remember when it did happen, there were times where it was just very, very severe and uh, just, it, you know, so it, it helped me become very empathetic. Uh, when I see a child in pain, earache, toothache, some of those things, <laughs> I, I very much can slip into those shoes uh, and remember those times myself and be very empathetic. Yeah. Well, I, I also had tubes put in my ear, but um, luckily I'm a little younger than you. And so uh, they, they'd already learned on you that there's no use in having a child go through pain yeah. for years. Well, um, but I do remember, I do remember what one of those earaches feels like. And, and yeah. to give some context, one of the things that commonly happens with an earache of this magnitude is the actual rupturing of the eardrum. That yes. it's, it's, it is the the swelling is so intense that it can actually break the eardrum. And uh, I think there are times I might've actually just wanted that eardrum to break because I felt like it might release some of that pressure. Yeah. Um, Like a pressure cooker release. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think I only recall having one of those earaches and then they put the tubes in (laughs) and, uh, and, and then, and then it never happened again. Uh, where yeah. in your circumstance, this was something that could come out of nowhere. And um, I mean, I, I, I can't recall, and, and it's not like I've, I've never had a baby, so I can't compare it to the, <laughs> the bigger pain out there. But uh, in my life, I, I have never experienced a pain um, as difficult as, as that. Um, yeah, it's definitely up there. Um, you know, uh, it's hard to do a comparison, but I have had... <laughs> I'm one of those folks that's fortunate enough. I've had kidney stones a few times oh. <laughs> and uh, I uh, come real close as an adult to crying, having kidney stones. And there's no question I cried with the earaches as a child. So it, it may be up there uh, quite, right quite along close the to same. the kidney stone, I guess. Yeah. Diff- different area of your body. So it's kind of hard <laughs> to measure. Uh, but yeah, definitely. Very uncomfortable. So, and yeah. so, you know, thinking back to that time and, and that time where you, you didn't, 
there wasn't anything to tell you that this was going to be temporary or that one day earaches would just be a memory that you had. And you, right. you talk about, um, you know, when the first time you told me about this, I, I found it really interesting that you brought up um, right away your congregation praying for you. Now, yes, I assume that that didn't make your earaches go away. <laughs> right. right. It was the tubes yeah. that did that, right? Um, yeah. It, but, yes. It, yeah. It, but to this yeah, day, that, that's something that you think of and that's something you bring up that is, is part of the right. relief of that pain. And so I, I'm wondering if you can kind of unpack that a little bit for me, because obviously it didn't have any physical impact. Right. Yeah, no, and I, I think it was instrumental, Steve, you know, because as I think about it, it was that community that was surrounding me, you know, so I had uh, a community that I knew cared. Number one, I, I was very fortunate to be in a family where I felt very loved and accepted. Um, and so also within that context, I was in a community of faith that these people cared. And so even though... Yeah. Again, numerous times being prayed for. And can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? <laughs> long before the long before cell phone technology and that commercial. But it would, you know, and uh, it, there was a desire to see that release on their behalf to to see me healed. Um, at not not for their own faith sake, but because of their genuine concern for what I was going through. And from my side, you know, as a child being again, mind you, second grade, third grade. Um, yeah, I wanted to be healed. And that wanting was not only for my own personal sake, because of the pain that I knew was there and enduring the the trouble of hearing from time to time. Uh, but I also wanted to hear to accommodate their faith and affirm their faith and their belief in mm. a God that could heal. Um, and so it was, you know, uh, in its own way, especially as I got older and once my <laughs> the tubes were in my ears and my ears were healed, uh, it, it was almost kind of humorous to look back uh, because, you know, there there really was kind of a desire to just fake it to, to help people <laughs> feel better about it. But of course, you know, <laughs> there was really no faking something like that back then. Uh, it just wasn't an option. So, so you but, actually yeah. felt some pressure then to to no longer have this so that you could affirm their beliefs. Is that, am I, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I, 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 I hate to really think that way, but it, it, there's no question that I wanted to be well, they wanted me well, and certainly uh, believing that faith was a solution. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly, you know, we, we all wanted that to happen, you know? And so, uh, that's that certainly it really did play into the foundation of building my faith though um, and you know you and I talked about this some um, uh, from there you know some other things that played in to kind of help me become who I am um, you know I, I ended up between my eighth grade and ninth grade year which was junior high to high school transitioning schools uh, I got glasses and so um, I slowly somewhere along the line was getting poor vision didn't realize it and i can remember getting my glasses and seeing individual leaves on the tree again for the first mm -hmm. time and i don't know how long 
And so in the same way, just opening my, my eyes and seeing with such clarity, um, that all sort of played along with my, my, my growth in my Christian faith of where just knowing again that I, I assume a big part of it was that nurturing environment that I was in, both my home and the community that surrounded me. Um, but just to, um, it, it, it really was almost an awakening in that regard to just see for the glasses, to just see the beauty of the individual leaves again. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a freshness of seeing something that was there, but just seeing it with a completely different perspective. And and when you think about it, that's really oftentimes what faith really is, isn't it? It's just it's seeing things seeing through things a different the, lens. You know, it's funny yeah. when you bring that up. Um, I remember getting my first pair of glasses as well. And, and I don't know if you remember these. And um, it may be that uh, if, if we have people who are like under 30, they may not remember these either. But there used to be like these little camera things that like were Disney things. And you put these little, uh, they were 3D viewers. And you'd, oh, okay. yeah. you'd put those little circles in and then you'd click through it and you'd see these little 3D images. And um, I, I remember those being so cool. And when I got my glasses going, oh my goodness, the world looks mm. just like one of those li- little uh, Disney 3D viewers. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, like as you talk about, you know, I remember looking up at the mountains, uh, you know, just living in Salt Lake and, and going, you can actually see the trees from mm-hmm. here that that was amazing i hadn't realized that and then going camping and seeing the stars i'm like this is like a planetarium <laughs> yeah 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 definitely similar experience from my end uh of course one of one of the funny things i remember is the first pair of glasses i got you know lenses fitted with the lenses and walking out the office door uh I had I immediately stopped before I crossed the threshold because I felt like I was going to bump into the door frame because <laughs> of looking through the glasses lens. I suddenly felt restricted uh, as far as the space that I could fit through, and uh, obviously <laughs> the glasses didn't make me any wider, so I could fit through the door. But just that <laughs> initial shock of that uh, was kind of had me undone for a moment there, uh, but it. it, it went away quickly, needless to say, and just became a natural part of my life. And so, and, and really we can akin that to kind of the wearing of masks today, you know. Uh, I mean, I admittedly am not a f- of comfortable person wearing the mask today, um, but many folks have adapted to it. And like glasses, it's just a part of the fixture of what you wear today. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's... Uh, yeah, well, they've even made it um, mandatory where I live. You know, we've we've beginning uh, had to do a, that again here as well. Yeah, they they had as they reopened, we never saw our numbers go down, but they were holding steady, and so I think we we felt kind of a, a sense of false security, thinking that it was going to happen to the rest of the country, and uh, we were gonna <laughs> we we're just gonna scoot by because I don't know we're special maybe, and. Yeah. Uh, then out of nowhere in the last couple of weeks, the numbers have exponentially uh, grown. Nothing like what they're seeing in, in Texas or in Florida, but um, on, on course to become that way. And so uh, the uh, governor authorized our, our county uh, mayor to create a mandatory 
mask order. Mm. And uh, it, it has been interesting going, you know, I went shopping on, on Saturday, going into the store and just seeing everyone with a mask on. And, and it's interesting because admittedly masks are uncomfortable, especially you breathe into them a lot and your face gets hot and then you think, am I getting a fever? Do I have COVID now? But, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but on the same note, what I found so interesting about that is that for one of the first times since this all happened, I didn't feel worried in the store. Like <laughs> there wasn't this like, should I touch this or should an amount that might just be a false sense of, of security. But in many ways um, talking about, and, I, and I've been writing down some notes as we've been going through this, you know, spirituality, as you've described, it seems to have some core elements and one is community, you know, mm -hmm. that uh, your spirituality wouldn't have been complete without having your community, which at that time was your, was your church and our community mm -hmm. around us. And, and maybe if there's a spiritual message to mask wearing, um, it does create a sense of I'm protecting you because in the end, that's what a mask does. It doesn't protect you as well as it protects others in case you are asymptomatic and, and, you know, moving around in public, not knowing. Um, and so I see that, that sense of community maybe in that. And I felt that sense of community in, in a place where it's just like, we are all doing everything we possibly can to try and protect others around us. Maybe it's because now we were required to, <laughs> but, um, but we're all doing everything we can to protect those around us. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Well, and, and we can even loop that back to a comment you made earlier as well. So uh, you, you mentioned about atheists being defined by what they don't believe as opposed to what they do believe per se. And uh, even, even within my Christian faith growing up and talking to friends about what they believed and things, it was quite common for me to, to you know, just it was part of my life. So I assume it was part of everyone's life. Um, and so even within the Christian faith, we defined ourselves by, oh, they don't believe this, but we do. They don't mm -hmm. believe this, but we believe this. <laughs> and so it really became, you know, uh, some folks could dance, some folks couldn't, some folks could do this, some folks could do that. Yeah. So it really was what you, you what you did not believe actually kind of defined where you fell within the Christian faith, oddly enough. Isn't and that so, interesting? Yeah. And, you know, and so here with the mask, unfortunately, it's totally become, well, I shouldn't say totally, but a lot mm -hmm. of it has certainly become political as well. And so, oh, yes. you know, depending where you are as to what you do and why you do it. And uh, it's all about, you know, what you believe or not believe. And so it's a uh, uh, certainly fragmented things and certainly yes. faith can cause fragmentation as history tells us. So it's unfortunate. <laughs> you think? <laughs> it's unfortunate, as I say. <laughs> well, you know, I think that that goes along with that key element of community, that uh, spirituality mm -hmm. requires some sense of community, and community can easily lead to tribalism. And, yeah. um, you know, tribalism leads to you're not one of us, so that you don't you don't have the same value. So if we harm you or hurt you, it's it's not it, it's it's not bad because you're not you're not you don't have the same value as everyone else around it, which is an unfortunate byproduct. It doesn't yes. require religion to be like that. I think um, if anything, we're learning from our political climate that uh, political parties are every bit as capable of having creating maybe much more capable of creating that tribalism. That, yeah. 
leads to a very unfortunate circumstance where we just don't value people the same. Yeah. Well, and, and it's, it's, this is a good place to park for just a second anyhow and think about it because at the start of our call or our conversation today, I should say, uh, you'd mentioned the hospitality industry and mm-hmm. you'd mentioned about the love you know, being trained to love your team members, love your guests, and therefore that's the embodiment of hospitality. And ironically enough, that's one of the core messages of every faith that I'm aware of mm-hmm. is love. But so how can we love and yet tribalize? You know, how can we love and yet divide ourselves? Uh, and we see so much of that in our culture today. And so mm-hmm as far as for me and my faith and walking through this season of COVID and the pandemic and all that, um, I may not wear a mask all the time. So haters are going to hate. I know whatever (laughs) feedback people have. Uh, But at the same time, I don't want to dishonor someone that is wearing it all the time. I certainly don't want to make other folks feel uncomfortable either. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm certainly, if if it is mandated that I have to wear it, then by all means, I'll I'll wear it, you know. Uh, But it is interesting that we can get away from that foundation of respecting others and to yeah. me, that is a core faith issue, um, but uh, we've just drifted, and I, I don't think it's purely a matter of faith, because I see the division within the faith community as well. We've drifted away from accepting folks uh, that are different, and that's yeah. so unfortunate. And interpret that how you want, different, but that's so unfortunate, but that's so common. Well, and I think it, in many ways, and, and I, I, I have to, you know, I, I, I'm not a person of faith right now, but I was raised in, a, in an environment that was <laughs> really heavy on the faith side of things. And, um, and it is interesting that you, what you brought up because I had completely forgot about it, but it's kind of like I went back to years of going to church again when you brought up defining yourselves by <laughs> what, what we don't believe. And I, I do remember, right. you know, there being lesson after lesson of we're so lucky we know this and the rest of the world is confused. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> we even dissed on your Christian faith there, Leonard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we yeah. Said, oh, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. we said what, what Leonard doesn't know um, that we know. And, and it was kind of like we, we it was a, an exercise of stroking our egos, but also just our insecurities, you know, the yes. things that, that we were like, well, we're maybe we're not the best in the world, but we're not as bad as that person. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, and maybe defining ourselves, it's easier to um, define ourselves by the things we hate. Cause we're, we're built biologically to be able to fight against the things we hate and fighting and anger and all of those things are very, very powerful and um, it's easy to get off the couch um, and, and take action when the things that we hate are in front of us. But when the things that we love are around, those, it seems like we're biologically generated to be able to take those for granted and just think they'll always be there for us whenever we need them. We don't need to fight for the things we love. We should just fight against the things that we hate. And I yeah. think that's the antithesis of spirituality. You know, because that's really not creating a stronger spirit. 
to to because if, if there is anything and you know i i remember in, in in trying to decide what my belief pattern was and of course i i came from a position of faith and so it was kind of like i i, I came to my position of non-faith <laughs> through that same yeah. pathway but i do remember um kind of in my search and this was after i had left mormonism and then i was reading the new testament to try and kind of find meaning in it and i think it was um John chapter four is the epistle of John. And, you know, basically he's going through and explaining all these things. And I don't remember everything that said until finally he gets to this point where he says, God is love. And it was really, really interesting because I had been raised on this perspective that God is a man with a white beard and, um, and he has, he's tangible he has a personality. He likes to, you know, just like any other personality. But then all of a sudden I was reading something that saying God is something different than that, that God is an emotion, that God is love. And then it goes on to say something along the lines of he who dwelleth in love, God dwelleth in, in him and he in God as well. So it was kind of like this, almost this Eastern philosophy that in reading, you know, um, Hindu texts, which have this perspective that there is one God and it's all encompassed in the entire universe. And, and while they may worship many gods, these, these gods are, are um, personifications or, 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 or aspects of a larger whole. And I remember in reading that, uh, thinking, you know, maybe that is the ultimate reality. Maybe that is the ultimate spirituality is just to love people. And, and to the degree possible, remove our hate, remove our anger, remove those other things. And that's where true spiritual health comes from, is getting rid of the hatred, bringing in the love. And maybe that's too hippie-ish. Maybe I'd need to go smoke a joint at this point. <laughs> if I had one, I'm in Utah, so that's kind of hard to come by, but... <laughs> Well, I, I do think, I, I think the fundamental of, of, of love and, and that is certainly core to, as far as I know, every religion that there is. Um, and, and obviously how we walk that out may differ and our beliefs, you know, our access to God or what eternity looks like, those types of things vary. Uh, but I, I think it is a, a, a central theme. There's no question. And it is interesting that in this day and age, I mean, if we were to poll people, I, I think the majority of people would still identify themselves with some form of faith or another. But yet, if we look at social media, and if we look at any form of media, quite possibly, one would argue, uh, we just don't see love exemplified. And mm -hmm. so... Uh, and, and again, for me, it's foundational. So, you know, what does my faith have to do with COVID, right? So for me, uh, my faith gives me confidence to know, that number one, COVID will end. It's not the end of the world. Number two, I don't know that these are going to be in any numerical order, but a number of things that it gives me <laughs> is just confidence in knowing that there is another side to this and it will pass, you know. Uh, and, and the circle I'm in, I, I do know some people have, 
posted on Facebook, you know, is this the curse of God and all that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, for me, it's a matter of the fact that it's my belief that we live in a fallen world. And so there are times that things happen that don't have to have meaning to you or I, Mm -hmm. but they can happen. Uh, But in the end, it's having the faith that I do allows me to know that there is that bigger purpose, that longer purpose, that eternal purpose that outlasts my lifetime. And just uh, for lack of better words, and certainly not very spiritual sounding at all, but trusting the system uh, Mm -hmm. that things will be okay. And really what that means is just, you know, in my belief, just trusting that God really is in control despite the chaos we see and knowing that, yeah, there, there is an end to it. And my gosh, again, uh, this is my soapbox of the hour, I guess, but just to exemplify the God of love that we serve to our fellow man, rather than the, the vitriol of hatred and uh, the vitriol of, you know, I, I mean, shooting someone because they're trying to make you wear a mask or not wear a mask and just some, some mm-hmm. of the crazy things that are happening. We're in a bit of a boiling pot because we've all been locked down as long as we have been. It's global. We've never seen things like this. Um, but I would like to think that this is a time that the best can surface. And, you know, um, because what is in us will come out of us. And so this is the time, ideally, we should see the best in people. But unfortunately, we're, I think we're seeing some of the worst in people. And I'm not saying it's the worst time in history, but we're certainly not seeing um, people behave and act the way, regardless of faith, we're not seeing people see and act uh, the way that we would like the, them to behave in what we call a civilized society. Yeah, those are all you know, very good points. And it is interesting because in some ways, you know, I, I, I find my solace in similar things with different vocabulary, you know, yes. that I look at the virus and I, and I realize that it's doing what viruses do. It's, it's not yes. breaking the laws of nature. It's, it's doing what viruses do. It's, it's infecting, it's replicating, it's moving on. It's not personal. It's just yes. what viruses do. And knowing that it's just doing what viruses do, it means that we as human beings have the ability to do what we do, you know, to adapt, that we have the ability to make choices that that could eventually, you know, bring an end to this. Um, those choices mm-hmm. may be at the at the very beginning, um, wearing wearing a mask, you know, um, washing your hands, um, avoiding large gatherings and spitting in people's faces, which I think is always good not to do. But um, <laughs> it, 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 it starts with those things. But it also means that we as human beings, and, and now more than ever, we have scientific resources that are currently working around the clock to, mm-hmm. to bring an end to this, either by treatment. And in fact, that's something that has been brought up is that we are seeing an incredible rise in cases, but deaths have not followed to the same degree. Now we have to be very careful with that number in understanding that deaths will always have to follow the rise. You know, we, we're, we're always going to um, diagnose them first, and then there's going to be a period of treatment, and then deaths would, would naturally, and hospitalizations would naturally increase as well. But it does appear to be that some of our treatments 
are at the very least taking some of some of those potential um, deaths and, and 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 eliminating those. And I and I hope to see that continue to increase. The other thing that came to mind is that we've talked a lot about being grateful for things. We've talked a lot about you know seeing the silver lining, and sometimes there isn't a silver lining. I, I think mm-hmm. about. Um, I've never been here, of course, <laughs> but one day I will uh, be at the very end of my life. And hopefully it's a long ways from now. Maybe it's closer. We never know. But um, I think about that person who's sitting there and and there isn't going to be a light at the end. Of, or maybe it is and they go to heaven. I haven't figured that part out. But there isn't. <laughs> they're at the end. And what is it that you could find to comfort you at that point? And I think that's where that spiritual strength can sometimes come from. And I, I, I recall um, when I was coming to the conclusion that I, I didn't believe in God, um, there being times, because one of the things that happened to me is I had never dealt with death up until that point because I didn't believe anyone had really died. That they, all that had happened is they had gone into another plane and I would see them later. So yes, I was sad that I didn't see them in the moment, but there was really no, I never experienced death and thinking Mm -hmm. that person is no longer in existence. And, um, and I, hopefully maybe I'm wrong about that. (laughs) I won't be hurt at all. If when I die, I don't. However, my belief at this point is that that's the end other than the way you may remain in the memories of the people that are around you. And I remember waking up in the night from time to time in this kind of like night terror going, Oh my goodness, I'm going to (laughs) die. I don't like that. I don't like not existing. And that happened quite a few times until um, I finally came to this this kind of mantra (laughs) that would help me when it would happen. And it would just be going through all the people that I love and care about. And, and for whatever reason, just thinking about all the people I love and care about and knowing that they know I love and I care about them brought that peace and brought me to this point that, you know, if I stop existing tomorrow, well, dang, that's really not what I wanted to have happen. But I'm, I'm afraid that that will always be the case. You know, even if I'm 92, I'm probably going to be like, well, I'd rather have another day or two if I could. You know, like if you watch Picard um, at the very end, well, I don't want to spoil it, but at the very end, they kind of bring him back as a robot and, and they say, don't worry, we made you mortal. He's like, well, you could have added a few more years. <laughs> and and, and, and um, I am certain that that's always where I'm going to be at. But the one place that I've been able to find peace is in just going through and thinking about, you know, starting with my kids, you know, thinking about my wife, thinking about those things and the people I care about, my parents, even those that have gone before and, and realizing I've had an amazing existence, you know, Mm -hmm. that I've really had um, an opportunity to, to, to love people and feel loved by people. And I don't think, I don't think things can get any better than that. I don't think there's any greater spirituality that I've uncovered that can, yeah. that can top that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because there, there is a scripture when that uh, the apostle Paul wrote and talking to, uh, I don't know if it was Corinth or where he was addressing it just right off the top. 
But one of the things that he said was be content in whatever state you're in. And there is something so almost mystical, magical in being content in whatever situation you're in. And just, just, just as you were sharing, you know, you had those uh, night terrors, the agony of thinking about death initially. Um, as we think about COVID, I mean, this is not a pleasant season to be on the planet Earth. Um, but if we can learn contentment, and for me, that contentment comes through my faith. For you, it comes from embracing uh, the love that you've shared in your family and and you're not having faith, <laughs> if I can put <laughs> exactly. it that way. <laughs> but there's, there is something so peaceable about just embracing the reality as it is. And of course, the frightening thing in embracing reality the way it is means it's the recognition that you and I are not in control as much as we want to be and as much as we thought we were. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, again, just draws back to the conclusion that, you know, I am just a single individual on a planet of billions of people. And that doesn't make me insignificant, but just the uniqueness of embracing the situation as it is, and I'm not in control. And for me, that's where I have my base in knowing when it really comes down to it, I can accept the fact I'm not in control, but I have the belief that there is someone, some deity that is in control. Mm-hmm. That's that's what gets me through this uh, crazy 90-day plus 90-day furlough, as well as the pandemic, as well as the financial crisis, and the wonderful world that we currently live in. Yeah, very well said. And I know we're coming right down to the to the end of our, well, 45 minutes came and went about 10 minutes ago, but <laughs> coming down to the end of our time. And... Um, I don't know if I was coherent at any point throughout this <laughs> this <laughs> podcast. Um, I do feel like I, I've like kind of renewed to just having talked through uh, some of these uh, weightier subjects and um, and feelings. And of course, we yeah. we would love to hear from any of you that are are listening to this podcast if you've got some weighty feelings, or maybe even at some point you'd like to come on and share with us. Um, we'd like to kind of extend that invitation um, to to hear from you and, and find out how you're feeling. As I think about yeah. the things that I'll take away from today, I, I wrote down some points and maybe, maybe Leonard, you can add to them when it comes to spirituality, because I really was struggling when we talked about doing spirituality and saying, what is spirituality, especially from my vantage point? You know, I'd always heard of the spiritual atheist and and I felt like a spiritual atheist was just an atheist that was trying to get people who believed to like them. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, some, some things that come to mind as, as I think about spirituality and the key elements is having a community that cares. And um, that means that if you are surrounded by people who maybe aren't accepting you, maybe you I'm not, I'm not telling you to leave your community, but maybe maybe you need to find a place where you will be acknowledged for what you bring to the world. Um, I, I specifically think of people who I've known in my life, and especially I, I believe this is, is this Pride Month? <laughs> now I feel really horrible if I don't know, um, who have, um, who don't fit the standard mold. 
you know, um, I think of a very dear friend um, who is uh, transgender. And, um, well, heavens, you, you know her as well, Leonard. You met her when she came out here. And yeah. I, think of, I think of the transition that she went through as, as she came to understand who she is and the pain that she went through. And, and, um, and even sometimes some very dark, dark times where um, she contemplated the, the, the worst escapes possible. <laughs> we don't need to go any more detail than that. You all know what I'm talking about. And if you are one sure. of those individuals, realize that there is a world out there. There is someone who cares about you. And there is someone who, um, who maybe they don't know you, but they will, once they know you, they're going to love you. <laughs> they're going to think you're the, the, the greatest uh, thing that ever happened in their life. And so if, if you find that you're in um, a place where your community doesn't appear to care about, you realize there is a community that does somewhere. And if you can't find them, reach out to us. <laughs> we'll, I don't, I'll look, <laughs> I'll try and help you find somebody um, who can, who can help out. Um, the other thing that, that uh, I wrote down was, was vision. And I don't, I know it made sense when I wrote it down, but I was kind of thinking about when uh, you and I got our glasses for the first time and, and could see things. And um, I think spirituality is always trying to, include or always trying to improve your vision or your view of the world around you. That great spirituality is spirituality that allows you to see people better than how you saw them the day before. Because I know that when my spirituality is on a downward spiral, spiral, it's when I trust the world less every day. When I uh, believe that humankind is, uh, irredeemable more and more every day. That's when my spirituality is suffering. And when the vision to see people as, as, as human beings, even people we disagree with, when we have the ability to see them as, as people of value and people who we need to have as part of our community. And then another thing I wrote down was, was miracle. Um, and what I, what I, I was thinking about is when you were talking about your, um, ability to hear again and to not have pain, you know, that uh, miracles are a reality. Their source may be uh, up for some kind of uh, discussion. For Leonard, they come from God. For me, they might come from science. <laughs> but either way, the miracle itself is a reality and that strong spirituality will allow us to bask in those miracles and enjoy those points and believe that they will happen that uh, the most unlikely thing is that you will go through your life never having had a miracle happen to you, never having had something truly amazing and transcendent happen to you. That would be the unusual thing. That would be its own miracle, I guess. And then the one thing I, I have kind of circling all of these elements is love. And none of these work without that final point that we need to care about our fellow human beings. We need to maybe even go beyond our fellow human beings. Maybe we need to care about our planet. Um, obviously, we need to care about our planet. Maybe we need to care about the animals that are around us. Um, you know, I look at my my daughter who started being vegan a very long time ago. She, like me, does not necessarily believe in God, but she does believe in animals. <laughs> and uh, this doesn't mean that you can't invite her to her barbecue. She might 
you know, she's not going to eat, eat the meat, but, um, and, and, but that's for her a way that she's been able to express her love is in, in loving animals. Um, and not everyone is, needs to be the same. I think that's one of the things I really got from what uh, you were saying, Leonard, is we don't need right. to be the same for us to love each other. In fact, great spirituality will allow us to love through the differences. Or how did you say it? Find peace where we are? <laughs> or Paul say yeah. it? How did, yes. Yeah, content, being content. So those were my key takeaways, Leonard. Um, and I probably talked way too much today. And I'll, <laughs> so I'll kind of be quiet when you finish up um, and uh, maybe say what what uh, what were your final uh, takeaways. Yeah, no, I, I think you captured some great thoughts there, Steve. And so I'll, I'll just wrap up with a couple uh, rather than uh, uh, go down too long of a road. But as you were talking about... Uh, your friend that I got to meet while I was out there and her, her journey, uh, and, and so on. It really is in its own way. It's almost not unlike anyone's journey because all of us want to be loved. And I've got a friend, so I'll just quote him. And I believe it's technically a Bob Dylan quote, but he used to say it all the time. He said that I'm tired of people loving me for who I can be. I just want to be loved for who I am. Mm -hmm. And I, I think there's so much potency to that because uh, we have conditions and we have restraints we put on people. And all of us have this inner desire that we just want to be loved for who we are and be accepted for who we are right now. Uh, and then in addition to that, I know <laughs> we've maybe drifted from COVID in the conversation there, uh, but I do think uh, in the immortal words of Dionne Warwick, for those of you that might know her, <laughs> what the world needs now is love, sweet love. And I will end on that note. Uh, so love those folks that are around you. Uh, and like Steve said, we'd love to hear from you and how you're coping, what you're doing, what works for you. And get your thoughts of what you might want to share on the podcast or have us to share on the podcast. So you can contact us at furloughedmailbox at gmail.com. Again, that's just simply furloughedmailbox at gmail.com without any spaces there. And give us a shout. Let us know you're listening. I'm pleased to see a number of folks have providing feedback to us. So certainly encourage you to make your thoughts known on whatever platform you listen to us and rate us there. And that will help other listeners to find us as well. And as we wrap it up, wrap it up today, as always, this program was brought to you by Upwards Unlimited, where they can help you improve your conversations, connections, your collaborations, and your community. So upwardsunlimited.com. Feel free and visit their website and see what they can do to help you out today. Until next week, everyone, have a great week. Bye-bye.